electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Brian Sullivan. On this podcast, you'll hear in-depth, candid conversations with CEOs, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders recorded at CNBC's live events. Today, a conversation with Special Presidential Envoy for Climate, John Kerry. The former Secretary of State has been tapped by President Biden to lead the administration's efforts on climate change. He joined me at CNBC's Evolve livestream on March 4th, 2021, to talk carbon emissions, job creation, and his top domestic and international priorities in this newly created role. Take a listen. All right, you, you've got a number of jobs, obviously. It's a big job. Uh, what would you say would be job number one for you? What are your key priorities, and how do you plan to tackle them? Well, the key priority as set by President Biden is to help all the major uh, greenhouse gas emitting nations of the world go to the Glasgow conference in November and raise the ambition of all of those nations to reduce those emissions and uh, to begin to get on a track that limits the rise of temperature on the planet. That will limit damage, it will limit, uh, it will increase our food production ability, the capacity of people to avoid paying billions of dollars for one storm or another. We need to uh, quickly pull ourselves together to raise the ambition of nations to meet the goals we've set for ourselves to do what the science tells us we must do. Well, this is geopolitical diplomacy at its finest, uh, along with, of course, climate discussions, because we know that the number one emitter is indeed China. We are number two behind that. China continues to build coal-based power plants, they will say we have a billion and a half plus people. We simply need the power however we can get it. How do you address the, the China issue, if you will, the Russia issue, which is also a large emitter? How do we combine climate diplomacy with political diplomacy? Well, they're, they're part and parcel, obviously. There's always politics involved. It's very complicated. But China has an interest, and they know they have this interest, in trying to provide uh, cleaner air for their citizens and trying to reduce the most catastrophic impacts of the climate crisis. And they are doing things. They are, they've, they've, they're the biggest producer of solar panels in the world. They've deployed massive amount of solar and renewable in their country. The problem is the, the size of their economy, uh, and, is, and it is so, it's so uh, voracious, its appetite is voracious for growth, so they've been providing that power not with alternative renewable as much as they might be able to, or even with efficient coal. They've been, up until recently, at least uh, just building out the coal-fired power capacity. Uh, many of their coal plants, by the way, are, are not efficient. They have been reducing some of them and bringing on, well, you know, the critical uh, coal uh, uh, technology, but even that winds up with too much emissions. As a result, 
China is the world's number one at 30% of all the emissions in the world. So we have to find a way for China to reduce, for us to reduce, for Europe to reduce, all of the 17 major emitting countries, and then a group after that are going to have to join in exhibiting greater ambition to reduce the emissions more rapidly than we are today. If we don't do that, we're going to blow through the 1.5 degrees uh, of, of limit, and, and the results are going to be much more expensive to us than they would be than taking the actions we need to take now. Oh, we saw when they had their lockdowns in the beginning of last year that the skies literally cleared up uh, above China. But as you know, Mr. Secretary, what governments say and what governments do can often be very different things. China will say some of the right things. Do you believe that ultimately they will do that? It will have to be in their political and economic best interest for them to do that. Do you think the case can be made that it would be? Well, any country or any individual would be making a huge mistake with anyone just to set up a structure where you're trusting that something's going to happen. What you have to do is be able to verify what's happening. And in fact, now, through technology that uh, uh, has been worked on now for a number of years, we have the technological capacity to be able to measure what countries are doing anywhere in the world, even to measure as fine as getting down to see what a particular business is doing, what the footprint is of a big uh, global corporate entity, for instance. We can measure those things. So there will be a level of accountability entering into the system that hasn't been there uh, previously. Uh, Moreover, uh, it's in China's interests, it's in India's interests, Korea, Japan, all countries need to quickly Mm -hmm begin to enter into this transition. Why? Because, number one, the negative impacts are going to cost more than it's going to cost to enter into those fields. Secondly, the marketplace is moving very, very rapidly in this direction. And if you're going to compete with your economy, if you're going to create the jobs of the future, if you're going to be able to create the new technologies, the new products, you better be in this hunt and you better be in it now. That's what a lot of corporations are realizing, which is why last year a remarkable $500 billion was invested in solar, wind, and electric vehicles. And probably much more than that will be invested this year. So the future economically, the future jobs are moving in that direction. We know, for instance, in America, we have 3.6 million people who are uh, working uh, in uh, in uh, retail, uh, we have more people than that working already than in retail in new energy jobs. We have more people working uh, in uh, solar and wind than we've had any time previously. And those numbers are increasing. The Bureau of Labor Statistics says that there are only three entities over the next 10 years that are going to grow jobs. The first is wind, wind turbine technician, about 62% growth. The second is registered nurses. We all understand why that's growing. And the, and the final one at 51% growth is going to be solar power technicians, solar panel uh, installers. So there's a remarkable transformation already taking place. And I think nations that are going to compete competitively, that are going to compete in terms of job creation and technology production and sales need to be moving in this direction, and they will be.
And, and those technologies certainly can be job creators. And by the way, they are booming. And the irony is, if you go around the oil country, Texas, Oklahoma, North Dakota, they have more wind turbines than anybody, sort of semi-ironically. But to build these, Mr. Secretary, especially electric cars, even smartphones, wind turbines, you need rare earths. You need not only lithium, the best known, you need obscure things like neodymium and yttrium, these things we've never really thought about or talked about, mostly, though, are controlled either geographically or in the processing of by China. Do you have a point of view and a policy perspective on these rare earths, which could be the, the next oil, if you will, from a geopolitical perspective? Well, things are going to change. You're absolutely correct. There is a cornering of the market with respect to lithium and some of those other critical rare earth minerals necessary to telecommunications and computing and so forth. But there's also a transition taking place and people are searching and finding alternative means of doing things. For instance, there are new solar panels now being uh, produced uh, in, in ways that is increasing the efficiency by 30 and 40 percent, but not reliant on the exact same silicone as was being used previously. So I think there's going to be a transition. That is the nature of technology. It's the nature of the competitive marketplace. And the United States needs to actually be putting more effort into the R&D, the innovation uh, necessary to make sure we are competitive and we are moving in that direction. I'm confident that we will have the ability to do that. But we will only do it if we begin to build out the new infrastructure in America that actually builds a grid, that takes advantage of artificial intelligence, quantum computing, begins to do the things that create efficiencies that reduce the costs to consumers. That is the future, and I think we're going to be in it uh, with the Biden administration, uh, with our, uh, with Jennifer Granholm at the Energy Department, Gina McCarthy working the domestic component of this new energy picture. We're going to move much faster than anybody imagines. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I'm going to quote a line, Mr. Secretary, from my favorite movie, The Right Stuff. And I guess that dates me a little bit, but I'm okay with that at this point. And they say, they're talking about the space program. They said, no bucks, no Buck Rogers. And we talk about building out these technologies. Can we talk about the money side? This is CNBC. And obviously, money is going to be necessary, whether it's public money, private money, or a combination of a public-private partnership. You've just appointed uh, your friend Centerbridge founder Mark Galogli as part of sort of a financial task force, if you will. Where do you see the financing coming from? Where do you see financing being secured from? Because ESG investing has been hot. Do you think there's the capital to get this done, sir? Yes, there is the capital. Of course, there's the capital. There's some $51 trillion of capital uh, 
you know, in, in, in the marketplace now looking for places to go. Uh, it's one of the reasons why SPACs have become so popular, a quick way to market with capital in these areas. And that's ESG is in every boardroom today. People are discussing both ESG and SDGs as investing, but they're also beginning to really focus in, as you see with Hank Paulson's new fund, uh, on specific climate-related investment, of which there are enormous opportunities out there. Uh, India, for instance, has set a goal of building out 450 gigawatts of new power that's alternative renewable, but they have a need for about $600 billion of, of finance in order to do that. All of this is doable with the finance. I am in uh, discussions right now with a number of our largest asset managers and major banking institutions with hopes that we can begin to understand where the capital could come from and, and how it can go into these sectors. But um, I have no doubt that uh, we will be able to find a partnership between the private sector investment incentive that exists already to go do this and the R&D and some of the funding and incentives that will come from the federal government. Also, I think President Biden is planning on a major infrastructure initiative. We need that desperately in America. We need to look at what happened in Texas. We need to build out our energy grid. We need to have an energy grid. We don't really have one in the United States that's a smart grid that connects one part of the country to another. So there are great opportunities here, uh, huge opportunities for growth. And I think we're going to see uh, international consortia grow as people find it convenient and, and uh, financially rewarding to combine efforts in order to do some R&D for one particular uh, technology or another. Uh, there, there's a huge race on to find bigger and better storage capacity for batteries. Uh, that's a holy grail of the new energy economy. Uh, or fusion or fission or uh, new methodologies for better abatement, for direct carbon capture, uh, you know, more efficient electric vehicles, bigger, better batteries in those vehicles. This is a world that's just opening up, I think, at a rate that is absolutely stunning. And I think what you're seeing with the plethora of SPACs that are uh, being uh, deployed, as well as other investing, uh, there's going to be a race uh, in this direction, and that's exactly what we need. When America races in that kind of direction with capital moving, that capital allocation is making a decision for all of us. And in the end, it's going to result with uh, significant wealth being created, significant numbers of jobs. The Bureau of Labor Statistics, for instance, shows us that the largest uh, growth in jobs is going to come in the next 10 years, about 60% are going to be those uh, those uh, wind turbine technicians, and 51% is going to be the 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 uh, uh, mm -hmm. solar technician, solar panel deployer, installer. I guess is the right word. So I I just uh, see tremendous growth coming at us at a pace that uh, will eclipse anything we have seen. And I think as we break out of COVID-19, which we're all hopeful we're going to be doing sometime in the midsummer, fall, I think our economy is going to begin to take off. The global economy will take off. And if we do it right, we'll be moving in this direction of reducing emissions and building back better, which means building back green in many, many cases.
And with, you know, again, we, we come full circle, sir, to sort of the political angle of it, because it used to be a wind turbine. You would make it in the United States. It was too inefficient or expensive to ship. A couple of years ago, I was in the harbor of Houston, and I saw these weird-looking ships with tubes, and I said, what's that? They said, those are the wind turbines that are being imported from Germany and from China. I said, well, great. Now, we need this industry to make jobs here in the United States. How do we, from a financial perspective, perhaps, whether or not a trade war or whatever you might want to call it, how do we make sure that the U.S. can remain competitive in making some of these new technologies? It is a global economy. We want to be fair to our trade partners, but want to also make sure that growth, part of that growth you just talked about, sir, is represented for the U.S. worker. I know something that's very concerning to President Biden from a manufacturing perspective. How do we make sure we find the balance of not being trade protectionist, of making sure that there are jobs in the United States for Americans? Well, these jobs are growing in the United States now, uh, and they can grow even more. Uh, obviously, Congress has an ability to create some of the incentives, a tax credit, for instance, that is given for a behavior that you are seeking, uh, has proven historically to be extremely effective. Uh, I know the tax credit was uh, continued even in the Trump administration on the solar uh, we need to uh, do some of the infrastructure development in our country that will make it easier for people to be able to produce here and move their products from one place to another. I think all of these things are in the pipeline right now in terms of the Biden administration priorities. Uh, the president is first trying to get the COVID legislation done. That's urgent uh, before the uh, assistance runs out to people. But subsequent to that, there, there are plans to produce a major infrastructure initiative, which is long overdue in the United States of America. I, most people couldn't even name some major uh, infrastructure project that's being built out in the United States today. Why? Because most of them are being done at the local level. You know, the, the, uh, the, tur the uh, a turnpike authority or an airport authority like New York is building out both LaGuardia and Kennedy. It's not happening with federal dollars. So the federal government needs to get involved in helping to leverage the infrastructure built out of our country and the R&D necessary to create these new products. And immediately you're going to see a lot of that building taking place here. I think also supply chain disruption, which we've seen in the course of COVID, has uh, encouraged a lot of companies to think twice about uh, being excessively dispersed in that supply chain. So I suspect that there will be uh, even more jobs created in the United States as a result of some of the boardroom decisions that will be made accordingly. That was John Kerry, Special Presidential Envoy for Climate and former Secretary of State. We spoke at CNBC's Evolve livestream on March 4, 2021. The keynote is produced by the CNBC Events team. For more information about upcoming CNBC events and how you can join us, visit CNBCEvents.com. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for listening. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.